Guardian Unlimited. Six Nations Rugby with Ian Payne. Well, hello again. This is Ian Payne. Welcome to the Six Nations show on Guardian Unlimited. And what a weekend. Who would have predicted that? England knocked out by several right hooks at Twickenham and whisper it, is it time for England to dispense with Johnny? Surely not. An England team without Mr Wilkinson is about as unthinkable as the RFU allowing the most promising coach in English rugby to go and work for Wales. Oh, yeah. Uh, Elsewhere, some of our pundits on our first show tipped Scotland to spring a surprise over France. We'll gloss over that. Didn't put any money on it. Eddie O'Sullivan kept faith with his underperforming World Cup player, so they underperformed. So sit back as we chew over the remains of an intriguing opening weekend from the Six Nations. And unlike England, I can guarantee that the second half will be just as good as the first. Uh, my guest today, first up, uh, a man who on Friday I was very jealous of. He was going to Twickenham, but by around half six on Saturday, I was quite glad I didn't. He's the Guardian's rugby correspondent, Robert Kitson. Morning, Rob. Hi, good morning. All right. Uh, next, a woman who works for Observer Sport Monthly, which, if uh, you didn't know, comes out on a Sunday once a month. Lots to say. Uh, deputy editor of said magazine is Emma John. How are Hello. you, Emma? Yeah, I'm well. And it came out yesterday, so it's still there online. Fantastic. Did you get time to put some uh, Six Nations um, writing in it? We had a fantastic piece by Eddie Butler about the front row and Andrew Sheridan. There we are, you see. Well worth reading. Observer Sport <laughs> Monthly. Get it now. And finally, the assistant sports editor from The Guardian, Adam Sills. Uh, morning, Adam. Good morning. Depressed? Uh, largely, yeah, shocked. Still in shock, I think. Good. And last but by no means least, thank you very much for joining us, the Welsh legend, JJ Williams, who joins us from Wales. How are you feeling, JJ? Oh, how do you think I'm feeling? I don't know, because I've... <laughs> the whole of the nation is celebrating this morning. Is it really like that? Yeah. What's the... Um, what Because going into the match, what were your feelings on uh, the chances of actually winning or even holding on to England? Well, Ian, you won't believe me, but uh, a lot of us thought that we could do it. We... We've watched England in the World Cup. We, we knew that they couldn't score many tries. They would totally dominate, dominate us up front. But if we had a little bit of ball, we could uh, score some tries. It didn't go to plan, obviously, because Wills were very, very poor in the first half and England were in total control. But as soon as we started getting a bit of ball and moving the, the big English juggernaut eight around, then we, uh, we knew we could do something. Although I must say I was quite uh, startled at the turnaround in the game. Were there any tales of um, uh, exuberance from the fans, as there have been in the past? Well, you know, we, we've had these false dawns so often, and, uh, of course, the whole of Wales are totally shocked that we played so poorly and uh, came away from uh, tricking them with the victory at the end and how the game changed. That's what we were also startled about. But uh, I think uh, the, the messages come out of the camp, camp with Warren Gatland and Sean Edwards. Well, let's keep our feet on the ground. We played poorly. We were let off the hook. Uh, we're not a good side yet, and... Uh, but we've got three home games coming up now, and uh, obviously a lot of the Welsh fans now have got uh, their eyes on something very, very big at the end of the season. So, But we're not bragging at the moment like we usually do, no. because we've got too many false dawns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what happens with experience with that. Yeah. Did, were you playing in the Wales side that I dimly remember winning at Twickenham once, and there was a supporter from Wales who got drunk, I think he got put in the cells overnight, <laughs> and he was wearing a dragon suit. That's right. And he had to appear in court the next day wearing the dragon suit. Do you remember that? Craig got locked up because he was drunk and disorderly and he had come up dressed in his, in his dragon suit, as you do. Yeah. And uh, locked away. So he had his, uh, the only clothes he had with him. No, it was after my time. It was, I think it was in the 80s, I think. Oh, the last it? time we won up in 88. And, and in fact, that guy, you know, he's a respectable businessman. I've met him since and uh, <laughs> totally out of character. It was all sort of in jest. He did it for a few games on the trot. 
<laughs> but I got a bit carried away, I think. I think it was 1988 <laughs> when we won that Triple Crown uh, oh, yeah. season. And uh, the obviously, time. the Dragon couldn't take his beer. <laughs> the last time. <laughs> the last time it happened. Wales breathing fire. Uh, let's have a word with Rob Kitson, who's the rugby correspondent of The Guardian. From the England's point of view, what did you make of that, Rob? Well, I think there were there were three things. I mean, JJ's alluded to it, hasn't he? I mean, for, for a start, they didn't score enough points in the first half when, when they had the chance. You know, they were, they were all over Wales. They could have won the, the match twice over, you know. Yeah. Secondly, I mean, you know, there's no doubt about it. Wales did improve substantially after half time. Um, you know, you can talk about English injuries, but, but uh, Wales, you know, did get their act together in a way they didn't in the first half. And then, and, and thirdly, I mean, you, you looked at England's sort of decision making, generalship, call it what you like, uh, in the second half, and it was absolutely appalling. And uh, you, you can't win games of international rugby like that. You can't blame it on injuries, losing two open side flankers, can you? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, it, it, it's very unusual, it has to be said. You don't do that very often. I mean, you, England didn't have any, um, you know, they, they didn't have the depth of, of, of cover on the bench. They had to put Ben Kay in the back row. And, and, and you know, to be with all the... Ben Kay's a, a very nice man, but he'd be the first person to tell you that he's not a, an open side flanker. And, and Martin Williams had a, had a field day. So, yes, it had an influence. No, it wasn't the only reason that uh, England lost. Emma, John, um, what did you make of the match and how do you feel about it? Well, do you know what? It was actually the most fun I've had... Um, what Watching, uh, watching England in a while. Well, the first half was. Mm. Uh, really, I really enjoyed watching them. And then actually the second half was probably the most fun I've had watching Wales in a while. So really, I think I won all round. I mean, I've got a little bit of Welsh blood in me oh, anyway. Oh, have you? So Give I them actually... the bandwagon. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. They're all coming it out. Is, it is, though. half time, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, love, I, do, I do love watching Wales. And I, I love a good England-Wales match because it is, you know, because you do f- feel... They're, they're quite a lot of fun either way. But I have to say, um, watching England, I went to see Cloverfield this weekend. Mm, uh, so did, the, I. The, did you? Yeah. I, I absolutely loathed it. I'm going to tell you oh, that now. I loved it. But as I said, I found, I found it easier to understand Cloverfield than I did to understand what was going on in the England team. Understand Cloverfield? Half. New York attacked by monster, they all die. <laughs> what was the monster there for? Well, nobody it's unexplained. knows. It's unexplained. It's a blob. It could be created by the government. We don't know. Cloverfield, go and see it. It's a bit like the Blair Witch Project meets the War of the Worlds. <laughs> Inclusive ending, that's all we'll say. Um, Adam Sills, are you jumping on the Welsh bandwagon? Did you have lunch in Cardiff? <laughs> Absolutely once, not, or? no. Um, uh, I, was, I was stunned by the uh, the first half. It was, it was men against boys, the... The, the English were ripping the ball off the Welsh every single time the Welsh had it. It was just extraordinary. And then second half, something went fundamentally wrong. I mean, the, the, the classic part was when England kept recycling possession to within 50 yards, 40 yards, 30 yards of their own line. It was just extraordinary. And um, there was a certain inevitability that it would all go horribly wrong. But what was extraordinary uh, in the second half from my point of view which Rob has alluded to today in The Guardian was the lack of leadership it was uh, mm. it was incredible that there was no one there taking the I mean, I taking the team together and saying saying let's do what we were doing in the first half I think I mean you know it's when you miss people like Martin Corrie you know is uh, for years I think he's, he's held <laughs> sort of dodgy England performances together and hasn't really uh, had his um, fair praise and you know they missed him yesterday they missed uh, Someone like Delalio even, you know, to, to, to bang a few heads together. Someone like Jason Robinson at the back. Um, you know, it's hard to replace these guys. But, that, you know, yesterday was the, or sorry, Saturday was the moment that they um, were hoping to, hoping to, you know, that, that people would step forward and they, and they didn't when it mattered. And they, they all, they, sorry, they also missed the, uh, a sort of young English coach running up and down the steps in the last five minutes yeah. you know, telling, telling the team what to do. How do we, how do we all feel about <clears> that? I, I must admit, I was very uncomfortable when Sean Edwards, who writes a column for The, the Guardian, of course, um, well, we'll speak to him at some point, I think, during these uh, podcasts. How does everyone feel about 
Sean Edwards helping Wales beat England. JJ, from Welsh point of view, what do you think? Well, we had uh, foreigners uh, coach us before. You not know, English, is, not English. Well, no, but uh, well, he, uh, he's very close to Rob Howley and Gatlin, obviously, at Wasps, and there, there was a connection. He was available. He's only come down on a part-time basis at the moment. He's, he's over just here till the end of the season. I think, think he's still in the contract at Wasps, isn't he? Do you think he had a major influence Definitely. on Definitely. I think what happened at half-time in the dressing room played a, a major part of the game. He talked about England lacked leadership on the field, also off the field. I think the substitutions the wheels made uh, worked for us far better than they uh, did for England. I know you had some injuries and that sort of stuff, but mm. uh, but still, I think what happened in the Welsh dressing room half-time turned the game around. I, I was a little bit disappointed the way we came out of the dressing room. I was expecting a bit more fire and a bit more sort of uh, fury in the la- in the first 20 minutes. It didn't really happen. England totally dominated us. I've heard about Sean Edwards you know, punching the walls and ranting and raving, so I thought the side would come out breathing fire. didn't quite work like that because the English power was too strong for us. But certainly at half-time, there was a lot of strong talking then. Apparently, uh, Gatlin just said to the players that you're just leaving your mitts down. Apparently, he was very quiet about it. Sean Edwards wasn't quiet there. <laughs> and uh, that's what happened. But, of course, a big turning point in that game was just before half-time when uh, Saki failed to score that try and then that line-out, they should have scored from that line-out. It had been beyond Wales then, another seven points on the board they would never come back from that so I think that was a vital moment Wales went into the tunnel with a let off and then strong talk in half time some good uh, substitutions when we brought on Shanklin and then the game turned but again I, I was mystified to look at England standing behind the post looking so full on they're looking totally leaderless and uh, I think Vickery walked off the field when the conversion was being taken which I thought why is the captain going off now when they need him most of all so it all went wrong for them at, at the right moment and uh, it just bounced into our hands. I just want to ask you a couple of things. One, obviously, um, this remarkable kicking performance uh, from, from the, the man who was scoring all the points for uh, Wales, Hook. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you what, you what you feel about that and how influential that is and how much confidence that gives the side when you've got a kicker who's, who's just not missing. And I also yeah. want to ask you about Ian Bolshaw because certainly in England the feeling was, why is he playing? And after the match it's doubled. Why on earth was he playing? Well, James Hook, first of all, he, uh, I didn't think he had a good first half. I think he made a lot of mistakes, although I think Shane Williams was getting in his way a lot because Shane Williams was picking, making far too many mistakes, popping up in the number 10 position when he should keep his shape and stay out in the wing and he should leave it all to Hook and let him control it all. But his kicking, apart from the way he was playing, his kicking was just like Johnny Wilkinson was doing uh, three or four years ago or half a dozen years ago when England won the last World Cup. Mm. Now, when the scoreboard is ticking over, even when you're not playing well... England will tell you this, that it helps. Even though we should have been out of it t- totally, this guy kept bringing us into the game. And as the game blossomed, he saw the scoreboard move, and that gave him confidence, and his game improved. And uh, he is a star in the making. He's not the finished product yet. You know, He's still up against against Stephen Jones in Wills, but uh, he's learning all the time. He's a young man. He's a great young man, and a uh, huge future. And any successful side must have a good number 10. He seems to have, um, he seems to have improved massively since lo- even last year, doesn't he, um, well, yeah, JJ? He's playing in the Ospreys side, and they're, uh, they're all together playing for Wills, and uh, yeah. they've done well in the Heineken, and he's blossoming. You see, last season when he was playing for Wills, he was hardly playing number 10 at all for his club side. He was playing number 12 or out of position all the time. He's had a run of it now, and he's blossoming. He's not ready yet to be a, a superstar of the game, but he's 
going along the, the nice, nice right road. And uh, I have to say, I thought the way that uh, he created that try for yeah. Burn, that footwork, and the, you know the way he straightened the line—that—that's class. You know, that yeah. was the difference on the day, certainly between him and Wilkinson. You know, the footwork, the spatial awareness to, yeah. to do that was top class. I think. Well, Johnny Wilkinson used to do that a few years back, but yeah. all the injuries and he just worn out with it all. You know, you know, the fast feet he had. You know, could put people outside. And uh, I mean, that's what we were talking about before the game. If we could only get a little bit of possession, we have the runners out there. You know, uh, I, I thought Gavin Henson had a great game. That, when he ran down the middle and uh, passed that ball, it was great. You know, he's coming back to a bit of form. Shane Williams is a good player. So we, had that, we have got these exciting backs, which you, which you think about in Wales. But if you have a platform to give them the, the, the run-in, they can go all the way, you know? And, and did you think that having a, having a club side playing for Wales was actually worked out very well in the end, in the second half? Well, going down to four teams in Wales hasn't worked for us and for many factors. Uh, we financially be struggling, but on the other side, when you got this thirteen boys playing together week in week out, it does help. You know, the, the fact that they play for the Ospreys is because that they've paid the most money. The players have all gone there. They're not from Swansea or They're from all around Wales, so they, they've regrouped in. Uh, in the Ospreys, yes, of course it helps, and uh, but there's good spirit in the camp, you know. Yeah, you've got Scotland next, uh, yeah. two o'clock on Saturday, the ninth next Saturday. Just a final point before you go, J- JJ. Um, Bolshaw, what's your feeling on on Bolshaw? Yeah. Everyone seems to be having quite a downer on him. Yeah. Yeah, well, he made that drastic mistake when that kick was charged down, and that changed the game, didn't it? Wills scored the try, and that was all over. He shouldn't have kicked charged down. The guy he had plenty of time. He's hot and cold, isn't he? He does some good things and does some poor things, you know. Uh, who have you got? Who have you got to put in there? Um, you know, Jason Robinson's retired, and uh, you, you know you might be suffering from the fact that you've got too many foreigners playing in your uh, English league week in week out, and oh. uh, you're struggling for numbers, which I find a bit startling. <laughs> oh, don't don't go go down. That sounds familiar. Don't go down that <laughs> no. road. We've had that <laughs> no. conversation many well, times. Well, you have it in Wales as well, you know, uh, because yes. it's strange with the Ospreys winning uh, in the Heineken Cup and doing so well. But the main players are New Zealand players, yeah. Justin Marshall, Tia Tia, Marty Horan. They're the stars of the performance. So that's why I was quite surprised why uh, we did so well last Saturday without those uh, New Zealand Ospreys. Absolutely. But well, I, I feel a little bit sorry for Bolshoi. I think he's. I think he is a good player. His confidence now will be rock bottom. If he, if he was dropped, I think it would be the end of him. So I wouldn't be, be surprised if he was kept for the, the next game. I think that he's, he's just fragile, isn't he? I mean, that, that's the impression I get every time he's I quick. see him. He's quick. But, but, but don't you think he's mentally fragile? Well, he, well, his injuries and and that kick charge down is going to be even more fragile now, isn't he? But uh, <laughs> I, I think he's one of those. But I think he's a bit like Gavin Henson. I think when he's, when he's fully fit, yeah. you know, in attack, I think there's a, he's a completely different player. I, I thought there were flashes in that first half when he did look back yes. to the sort of form that you you, you remember him. I mean, I, I also think that any fullback uh, to a well-directed kicker game in the second half with the pressure that Wales applied, it's a, it's a it's a tough old job. Was um, it just me, or was um, was Gavin Henson? Exceptionally bulky on Saturday. I, I, I hate to use the word. Uh, uh, fat, but, uh, muscly. <laughs> well, I'd, I wouldn't like to say that given that running made in the second half, but he did look uh, rather large to me. Well, no, I. Well, he's been this size for some. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just. I think it's just the hairdo doesn't <laughs> quite flatter him. But um, no, he's looking sharper. He's putting some rugby together now. He's playing for the Ospreys regularly, and he's uh, he's a father now. He's settled down, all this sort of stuff, you know. So uh, he's a good player. He's a very talented player. I'm, Wales need him, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Anyway, congratulations, JJ. I'm sure that uh, it'll be celebrated for many, many years. That's right. And uh, good luck (laughs) next week when you're at home to Scotland. Don't uh, don't blow it after all the good work. Thanks very much. Thanks, JJ. Uh, Right, so uh, let's just wrap up the uh, England-Wales performance. Uh, England's next game, of course, will be on Sunday, next Sunday, 
in Italy, a game that they would expect to win. Um, Rob Kitson, would you expect many surprises, uh, uh, changes? Well, they've got they've got problems. I mean, injury wise, um, overnight there's uh, at least four of them are, are out through injury. Mike Tyndall's um, in Hammersmith Hospital with a with a bruised liver. Um, Dave, David Strattles looks like he's hurt the same metatarsal that uh, ruled him out of the World Cup. Uh, Lewis Moody's got a got an Achilles and. Um, there's one other. Tom Reese's got uh, knee ligaments. So, you know, they're, those, they're without four, so they're going to have to make a change uh, definitely at seven, and they're going to have to make um, a change at 13 uh, as a bare minimum. I mean, <laughs> what you've got to remember, it's, it's tough now. They've got three away games on the trot. It's not just Italy, who, who um, in Rome, with the sort of big forwards they've got, are, are not easy. I, th- I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, Brian Ashton was saying that over the weekend that, you know, it's no point making changes for the sake of it. Um, Equally, uh, it's it's an unforgiving environment in, in which to make changes. I would imagine he wouldn't go bananas. Uh, you know, it's, in the end, it's 40 minutes they played badly, not 80. Um, so I, I would imagine that that <laughs> if he's got to make enforced injury changes, he's not going to want to um, sort of compound that by making uh, lots of uh, I don't know what luxury luxury changes, if you like. Yeah, sure. Um, you can always give us your opinion, as uh, many of our listeners do and to do that you have to uh, do a blog and if you've never done a blog it's, uh, it's very easy it's just your opinion basically and you uh, go to blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport mind you if you've found this uh, podcast you probably know all about blogs anyway but anyway uh, not surprisingly the blog's dominated by the England Wales match in fact the first blog on Andy Bull who's the regular bloggist of the car, of the uh, Guardian, new media. His um, first blog just says, not by him, but by a, a listener, just says, ha 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 ha. Welsh. Uh, other Seagull Javier says, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, Monkey76 says, result was fantastic, but how on earth were Wales so, so bad in the first half? We were awful, and sadly, I can only see first half Wales playing against France, Ireland, on the like. Uh, that's from an English point of view. Wales are a confidence team and winning their first match against England at Twickers against all the odds, two tries to one and seven points. My God, we're going to win the Grand Slam! <laughs> Keep it down, boys, JJ said. Don't get excited yet. Lord Danger Esquire from Birmingham says, as an England fan, I think we've got a touch of the New Zealand syndrome, i.e. thinking we're way too good to be playing these chaps. Remember that great slaughter before the World Cup at Twickenham? The lack of character was frightening and the eventual implosion and doer disbelief reminded me of the way New Zealand have lost so many crucial ties. Thank you to all of those of you who sent us blogs. We can't read them all out, but uh, if you want to join in, blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. So, rounding up the England performance and the Wales performance, Emma, do you see Wales as possible championship winners and Grand Slam winners? Um, I, I do actually. I have to. Say, I, yeah, I've got a good feeling about them. I think um, I watched that Ospreys game against uh, against Gloucester, um, and obviously not even you know not even with Gatland and Edwards coaching them there, but they they've got such good players. I mean, I, re- I really do like James Hook. Um, what JJ was saying about him looking like Wilkinson did when he first came in is absolutely true because he's got that thing where he he he's not just getting it over the post. You, you watch it, the ball; it's going dead center of the post every single time and that really does remind me of the young Johnny. Mm. What do you think Adam? Well I think France were uh, exceptional yesterday and um, put in a performance that no one really expected because no one knew who any of the players were given that they were all second division players but they were absolutely fantastic and if they play like that against Wales I can see them beating Wales. Speaking of France they had a comprehensive victory 
on Sunday uh, at Murrayfield against Scotland. 27 points to six. Uh, on the line now is a very a friend of the Guardian's rugby shows, Laurent Dupré, who's the rugby correspondent for the French broadcasters RMC. Under new management now, Mr Livremont, um, did, you, did you see a new France on Sunday? Um, I don't know if I've seen a new France on Sunday, but I would say that it was like a cartoon. I've seen almost like a, an advertisement for French rugby, if you see what I mean. It was just like a publicité, as we say. I mean, uh, if you want to, if you want your kid to play rugby, just watch French play rugby. I mean, it, it was looking like this. It was uh, too beautiful to be true, I think. Beautiful, <laughs> lovely. Rob Kitson, did you think it was beautiful? Well, it certainly was. When when uh, Heymans and Clerk and Melzier are weaving those sort of patterns, you, you, you just, it was wonderful. I, I, you have to factor in that Scotland looked absolutely appalling in the second half, and all um, those of us who thought they might have a half-decent season have um, gone a bit quiet this morning. My uh, my porridge was very cold this morning when I when I ate it, but it was uh, no. It, uh, France, there's no doubt about it. They they came out. They they just look liberated, is the word I'd use. I, I just think uh, Ben Adelaporte has, has gone. Uh, their new coach has come in. He's clearly said, "Look, come on, for heaven's sake, let's let's play like Frenchmen." And uh, they've gone out and done that. What do you think, Laurent? The phrase "play like Frenchmen" means. Um, I would say it's just like a, uh, you know, just like a fantasy. Uh, I'm not sure French player uh, is a reality, but what is sure is that when you say the player do what you love to do. Uh, on the field, of course, if you take the good players to do that and not the ugly players, um, it, it can be, yes, it can be good. And I think definitely Emilien Tamak is the man who can make the things run very good for the backs. And it was possible because uh, Nale, because Vermeulen, because uh, Servat and then Zarzewski did the job on the front row and in the scrimmaging and on the, in the morning. Do you feel that you, France got the tactics all wrong in the World Cup and if they played like they did on Sunday, they might have had a better chance of winning it? Well, 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 well. I'm not sure. If you try to, <laughs> if you try to, play, to run all the balls to the wings against the All Blacks, for example, in the quarterfinal uh, from your own 22s, I'm not sure that you are the winner and you are qualified for the 22s. I think, I think you'd have beaten England, though, wouldn't you? Uh, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. What I mean is that yesterday it was a fantastic smile for French rugby, <laughs> but it was just a smile to win in Scotland in the championship, which is very good. But I mean, nothing compares to the smile they had when they beat uh, New Zealand in the quarterfinals of World Cup. I think we will always remember the second smile rather than the first smile. But, but, but we are very happy to see the French players play like this. Mm, excellent. Um, what did you make of uh, Scotland against France, Emma? And, and Scotland were, uh, as Rob was saying, not the side everyone expected, but France did play with that joie de vivre that we remember from the old days. Um, yeah, well, I have to say, I, I did think that um, people were going a little bit over the top with um, expecting so much from Scotland. Scotland. I, was, I, was, I was sort of surprised after their World Cup that... Um, you know that people people were really uh, expecting that much of them, and I, I have to admit, I did get so bored in the second half of that that Scotland France match Why? that I did start writing, uh, start reading a book, oh. um, uh, and, and only sort of what was the book? 
<laughs> uh, it was Michael Billington's um, uh, State of the Nation, actually. Oh, my goodness. Very intellectual. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Why was it so boring, the second half? I, I, I just, you know, I think... I think the life had gone out of that game. I think Scotland knew they couldn't um, win or or maybe just didn't believe they, they had any chance of coming back into it. And um, and I thought it got rather, got rather dull, really. Yeah, a bit one-sided. Adam, did you, find, did you get bored? No, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching France, actually. But um, like Rob, I'm keeping very quiet this morning because based on conversations <laughs> with him, I predicted that that match would produce the shock of the tournament <laughs> did and you? that John Barclay would be the star of the, why did you think, star of Why the did you think that and why do you think it didn't come about? I'd had some very high-level conversations with Rob when <laughs> oh, he, I see. he assured well, me I tell that you, Scotland were it's quite interesting. I think, I think it was based on the fact that they, the, 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 the rest, you had absolutely no idea because there were so many coaching changes and personnel changes and Scotland were about the one side with a possible section of Ireland who'd had such a bad World Cup with a bit of uh, continuity and consistency in there. <laughs> of course, what happens on the first weekend, it all goes straight out of the window. So, I, I mean, it just proves that the Six Nations try and predict it is, is, is impossible. Laurel, Laurel, what did you predict? Sorry, I got cold in Scotland. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. No problem at all. It's a chilly place sometimes. I, 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 really, without kidding, I was... Uh, I, Yes, I was really convinced that France, that France, yes, could win or should win that game, but uh, I, I do thought that the margin would be much, much, much closer because I had not a lot of confidence with that new scrimmaging, and I really thought that we would be penalised much more. Uh, my prediction was France by five points. That's it. France by five points. Yeah. And in the end, it was so much better. And now you've got Ireland to come at home. You must be confident about that one. No. No? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely no, because first of the scrimmaging, always the same thing. Yeah. And because you know, it's just like when you is, is it is it is it the, the same word for parachute? Yes. Parachute. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's always the same thing. When the first time you've got to to jump with a parachute. Yes. Of course, it's uh, it's not easy, but it's okay, and it's a fantastic experience. And yeah. then. And you've got two, three, four, five nights, and you think about what happened. Uh, those little rolls, that, that little piece of, uh, you know, of textile, and oh, and then you've got to, to jump the second time. And I'm not sure it will be as easy it's been, uh, as it has been for Mr. Trinduc, Mr. Wedrago, Mr. Malzieu, and so on. That's amazing. I never thought the French was quite as, you know, glass, half empty and, and pessimistic as, as we English are. We're used to it. Is it, is it a national trait, Laurent, to be suspicious and think you're probably going to lose every match? Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, it's, this, is a, this is the French way <laughs> society runs, as you see when you've got Mr. Uh, Mitterrand on the left side of the politics and he's got 51%, and then you've got Chirac, on the right side, it's got 52%. And then you've got, uh, and so on and so on. That's what we call uh, alternance. Well, we should, uh, well, speaking of politicians, we should uh, congratulate Mr. Sarkozy uh, getting married to Carla Bruno, shouldn't we? <laughs> he, he, he's clearly not a rugby fan. Why would you get married on the first weekend of the Six Nations? No idea. Anyway, if Carla Bruno offered her hand in marriage, you'd probably try and get married as soon as you could, wouldn't you? <laughs> I would have thought. Anyway, Laura... May I, may, may I just say one thing? Yes. Uh... Uh, if if I am the French president, 
I think I can marry a very beautiful girl. <laughs> <laughs> and there's lots of them about in France. I but, but, but I must say that the woman I'm living with is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, get that one in. Yes, absolutely. There's a great story about her in um, uh, Eric Clapton's book, because apparently he's, he was his, her boyfriend, and they went to see the Rolling Stones, because she said, damn, Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones, I really want to see the Rolling Stones. And anyway, before the concert, Eric Clapton's backstage and they're all chatting to him and he says to, to Mick Jagger, he says this is my girlfriend and I really think I love her, Mick, please don't do anything or take her away and four days later Mick Jagger and Carla Brune were an item just can't stop the man sorry you got a cold in um, Scotland uh, I hope it will recover in time for Paris next Saturday 4 o'clock, Laurel thanks very much for being with us and uh, I'm no doubt we'll speak to you again you're very much welcome, thank you very much Guardian Daily with John Dennis. The Guardian's daily news podcast is changing. For a start, it won't be called Newsdesk anymore. From next Monday, February the 11th, we launch Guardian Daily, which will be available to download from first thing in the morning, Monday to Friday. So you can listen to it while you're having your breakfast or take it with you on your way to work. The best news and analysis from The Guardian's top team of reporters and commentators. Guardian Daily. Guardian.co.uk slash podcasts. Guardian Daily. News from The Guardian. Regular readers of The Guardian newspaper will be aware that in their sports section they have a lies, damn lies feature. And basically it's kind of made-up statistics that should be true. For example, one in Monday's paper is zero uh, numbers followed by you know, w- what it should be. Zero. Member of, of Ian Bolshaw's fan club after President Brian Ashton became the last to jump ship on Saturday night. Uh, blog us some if you could think of some decent ones. These are ones that we've just come up with. These are just off the top of our head, of course. If we'd had time to think, it could have been an advert. 90, the percentage of Guardian Unlimited bloggers who said, I told you so, following Ian Bolshaw's performance. 12... Minutes into the game when even the most optimistic Scotland fan thought they might beat France. 45. Times during the second half that England fans cursed the RFU for allowing Sean Edwards to coach Wales. 67. Percentage of Welsh rugby fans who are mysteriously ill and can't work on Monday. And zero. The number of pints Mike Tyndall will have this week after being ruled injured with a bruised liver. Ouch. If you could think of any better ones, you know what to do. Blogs guardian.co.uk forward slash sport Can I just say I feel really sorry for Ian Bullshaw at the moment I think he's getting he's getting a lot more stick than he deserves Then blog and tell us <laughs> we're being unfair uh, We accept all blogs Right, let's talk about the other game then finally Ireland 16, Italy 11 uh, Rob Kitson as the rugby correspondent of The Guardian What are we to make of that result? Well, I, I think if Italy had had a, um, a pair of halfbacks with a little bit more uh, authority and control, they could have won that match. I thought their forwards looked uh, looked pretty handy. I thought they were relatively ominous, actually, for England uh, next weekend. Ireland, I, it's the same old Ireland, isn't it? We they, they roll out these guys, very similar team to the World Cup, uh, and they they're just not gelling. Whether you can uh, say uh, Eddie O'Sullivan's too conservative, whether you can say well he hasn't got many players to stick with. I think it's certainly true in the centre where they, you know Gordon Darcy's broken his arm, and uh, they they really are short of replacements. Um, so it it was, I don't think it was one of the greatest Six Nations games of all time. Um, Adam, why do you think Eddie O'Sullivan thought that the same players that didn't do well in the World Cup 
would do well in the Six Nations. I mean, is it, is it the case that there are a lack of resources in Ireland? Are there, are there too few players to choose from? Um, I mean, they were, they were just abysmal in the World Cup and, and, and it was very surprising that Eddie O'Sullivan kept his job. So maybe he, because of the fact that he kept his job, maybe he thought they should all keep their jobs. Mm. What did you think, Emma? Um, I felt like Ireland sort of, in some ways, I sometimes feel like they've got the same problem as, as England. To, to me, sometimes it just looks not so much about the players as um, as just a sort of lack of ambition. Um, I found it very strange. Um, Ronan O'Gara is normally so good at, at running a game, calling a game. And so is Brian O'Driscoll. So w- what went wrong there, I, I just don't know. But in a way, I think it's really strange that, you know, you get um, even, you know, on, on the on the England side, you get Brian Ashton talking about going back to basics. Um, and uh, sometimes I feel that's a bit like what Ireland are, are aiming at. And you just think, well, why, why go back to basics? Why not actually try to be a bit, a bit more ambitious? And if you, know? you go, if you go back to basics, you become predictable, don't you? The teams, you know, if, if, if they only have to think of uh, two or three things that you're going to do, then uh, you're much easier to defend against. But I, th- I, I personally, I think there was one big star at the weekend, as always, was Croke Park. What a fantastic stadium that is it really is it wonderful is a, place. It's a magnificent place the, the irish um, performance seems to be, i mean they seem to have peaked about a year and a half ago two years ago and they've never been able to recapture that form that or the munster form that won the the european cup in, in wales that magnificent day um, do you think rob that that eddie o'sullivan will look at that performance and say look i'm going to stay with these players for one more game because, of course, they've got to go to, to France next week? Or do you think he'll say, no, listen, this just isn't working. I've got to change it. Well, I, I, you know, I don't, on past form, he'll, he'll, he'll stick with them. And, oh, you've got to remember, he hasn't got Paul O'Connell. He hasn't got Jerry Flannery, who's suspended. He hasn't got Darcy now. Uh, Stringer's been superseded by, uh, by Owen Redden. They, they've, they've, <laughs> it, they, they've got some good young players, but a, a little bit like England, some of them are a bit too young. They haven't quite uh, got there. But I, th- I think they've got some possibilities in the front row. Uh, Mick O'Driscoll in the second row has been playing really well for Munster. Uh, and the back row, they've got oodles of back row forwards. I, I think Heaslip is a, is a very good player and, uh, and, and should, should come into the reckoning uh, certainly uh, sooner rather than later. Right, um... Obviously, in our uh, podcast later in the week, we'll do a full preview of uh, the fixtures for this coming weekend. France against Ireland is a four o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Wales against Scotland, two o'clock. And then on Sunday, it's Italy against England. But I just want to get everyone's final thoughts on uh, uh, Italy v England. From what you've seen so far, start with Rob. There's no chance England will lose, is there? There's always a chance. Uh, it, the, the only caveat I'd say to that is that Italy, England are the one side they, they do seem to freeze against slightly. They, they do seem a little bit sort of awestruck. Uh, having said that, England didn't have it all their own way last time they were in Rome. Uh, they're, they're, they have got injuries, uh, but what they still have is a very strong front five, and, and that should be enough to save them from uh, any real indignity. Adam? Um, the team, the team will will grow, and I think that the first forty minutes were were, were pretty promising, and um, the, the number of young young new players will will take time to bed in, and it might maybe that this is the shock they needed, and maybe they'll just start to improve from next weekend on. He says, hopefully. Emma, I think that um, I think the one thing people did overlook slightly in, in um, doing down Ireland a little bit um, was that Italy did uh, play very well, and um, and they do have a, a really good bunch of forwards. They they play very tight up there, and I think um, 
I think they'll put up a good fight. I don't think they'll win. I think even, you know, even just a personnel on the England team. I mean, Leslie Vinicolo is a frightening man. Mm. I think just his intimidating presence on the field will make a massive difference, whatever he does. And finally, can you give us some uh, good films to see and a couple of books to read? (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, go and see No Country for Old Men. Ah, That's That's fantastic. Everybody tells me that's fantastic. Really, it's scary. Is it? Scary stuff. Uh, Javier Bardem plays an absolute psychopath. You won't sleep that night, I'm telling you. So it's definitely better than Cloverfield. Oh, much, much better. Really? I think I need to get out a bit more. I've got, I'm, oh, sitting, sitting, I'm sitting here in front of my copy of Beano and it's, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, I'm feeling rather... Uh, uh, yes, anyway. There's some good films and there's some good books as well. Right, my thanks to uh, everybody who's been uh, involved in the show today. The Guardian's Rugby Union correspondent, Rob Kitson. Thanks, Rob. No problem. The Observer Sport Monthly's deputy editor, Emma John. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. Happy reading and cinema going. And The Guardian's assistant sports editor, Adam Sills. Thank you, Adam. Um, we're back on Thursday to look ahead to the second weekend's action in the Six Nations. Um, my thanks, too, to JJ Williams and Lauren Dupre, who joined us from their homes. Let's hope Lauren's cold gets better. He's been in Scotland. And let's see if uh, next week can turn out uh, any more of our predictions upside down. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Ian Payne. We'll speak to you on Thursday. Six Nations Rugby from guardian.co.uk. 